Um, today, there are a couple of things that uh, I'm, I'm not going to be long today. Um, I wanted to read just a couple of things to you. Um, one of them is uh, by my one of my favorite writers, Max Lucado. Uh, came across some some stuff that he had written regarding Christmas, but my mother-in-law, God bless her, shared this with me this morning, and um, it was exactly what I needed to hear. And I wanted to share it with you. This is pretty short. It came from a devotional that she's been reading. And it's called How to Be Perfect. How to Be Perfect. And it says, Christmas is the time of year when the pressure to be perfect intensifies. We imagine the perfect celebration and then put forth our best effort to make it happen. We shop for the perfect gifts. We plan the perfect Christmas Day meal. We choose the perfect greeting cards or write the perfect family letter But our striving leads to discouragement and disappointment when our ability to imagine perfection exceeds our ability to implement it. I like that. Our striving leads to discouragement and disappointment when our ability to imagine perfection exceeds our ability to implement it. The carefully chosen gift receives only a half-hearted thank you. Part of the meal is overcooked. We find a typo in our Christmas greeting after we've mailed the cards to everyone. Children fight over toys. Adults resurrect old arguments. Instead of being discouraged, however, we can use our disappointment to remind ourselves of the reason Christmas is so important. We need Christmas because none of us is or can be all that we want to be. Not for a month, not for a week. Not even for a day. How much more meaningful our celebrations of Christ's birth would be if we would give up our faulty concept of perfection than focus instead on the perfection of our Savior in whom we are made righteous. Romans 3.22 says, For by one sacrifice He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. If your Christmas celebration this year is less than ideal, relax and let it be a reminder that the only way to be made perfect forever is to live by faith in the righteousness of Christ. I thought that was pretty neat. Does anybody else ever feel the stress of trying to make Christmas perfect, get the perfect gift, plan the perfect meal, have the perfect song at the Christmas program? Um, it gets it gets a little overwhelming, doesn't it? Well, that's uh, I thought that was an interesting take. Let's use that to remind us that this is the whole reason why we need Christmas to begin with. Good stuff. So today, I want to read to you, and it's going to be uh, a little lengthy. It's probably going to take me somewhere between ten and fifteen minutes to get through it. But this is a selection from Max Lucado called It Began in a Manger, and there are three sections of this that I want to read to you today. It talks about the arrival of Christ and some different perspectives associated with His arrival presented in a way that only Max Lucado can do. I love this stuff. So, bear with me for a little while. Hopefully Will will be able to stay asleep, or stay awake. <laughs> will worked all night. He's, 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 I'm, I'm proud that he's here. Um... It began in a manger. Curious, this royal throne room. No tapestries covering the windows, no velvet garments on the courtesans. 
And instead of a golden scepter, the king holds a crudely whittled olive wood rattle. Curious the sounds in this court. Cows munching, hooves crunching, a mother humming, a babe nursing. It could have begun anywhere, the story of the king, but curiously it began in a manger. Step into the doorway, peek through the window. He is here. The arrival. The noise and the bustle began earlier than usual in the village. As night gave way to dawn, people were already on the streets. Vendors were positioning themselves on the corners of the most heavily traveled avenues. Store owners were unlocking the doors to their shops. Children were awakened by the excited barking of the street dogs and the complaints of donkeys pulling carts. The owner of the inn had awakened earlier than most in the town. After all, the inn was full, all of the beds taken. Every available mat or blanket had been put to use. Soon, all the customers would be stirring and there would be a lot of work to do. One's imagination is kindled thinking about the conversation of the innkeeper and his family at the breakfast table. Did anyone mention the arrival of the young couple the night before? Did anyone comment on the pregnancy of the girl on the donkey? Perhaps. Perhaps someone raised the subject, but at best, it was raised and not discussed. There was nothing that novel about them. After all, they were possibly one of several families turned away that night. Besides, who had the time to talk about them when there was so much excitement in the air? Augustus did the economy of Bethlehem a favor when he decreed that a census should be taken. Who could remember when such commerce had hit the village? No, it is doubtful that anyone mentioned the couple's arrival or wondered about the condition of the girl. They were too busy. The day was upon them. The day's bread had to be made. The morning's chores had to be done. There was too much to do to imagine that the impossible had occurred. God had just entered the world as a baby. Yet were someone to chance upon the sheep stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning, what a peculiar scene they would behold. The stable stinks like all stables do. The stench of urine, dung, and sheep reeks pungently in the air. The ground is hard. The hay is scarce. Cobwebs cling to the ceiling and a mouse scurries across the dirt floor. A more lowly place of birth could not exist. Off to one side sit a group of shepherds. They sit silently on the floor, perhaps perplexed, perhaps in awe, no doubt in amazement. Their night watch had been erupted by an explosion of light from heaven and a symphony of angels. God goes to those who have time to hear Him. So on this cloudless night, He went to simple shepherds. Near the young mother sits the weary father. If anyone is dozing, he is. He can't remember the last time he sat down. And now that the excitement has subsided a bit, now that Mary and the baby are comfortable, he leans against the wall of the stable and feels his eyes grow heavy. He still hasn't figured it all out. The mystery of the event still puzzles him. But he hasn't the energy to wrestle with the questions. What's important is that the baby is fine and that Mary is safe. And as sleep finally comes, he remembers the name the angel told him to use, Jesus. We will call him Jesus. Wide awake is Mary. My, how young she looks. Her head rests on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. Her pain has been eclipsed by wonder. She looks into the face of the baby. 
her son, her Lord, His Majesty. At this point in history, the human being who best understands who God is and what He is doing is a teenage girl in a smelly stable. She can't take her eyes off Him. Somehow Mary knows she is holding God. So this is He. She remembers the words of the angel, His kingdom will never end, the angel had said. But he looks anything, he looks anything but a king. His face is prunish and red. His cry, though strong and healthy, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. And he is absolutely dependent upon Mary for his well-being. Majesty in the midst of the mundane. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenager and in the presence of a carpenter. She touches the face of the infant God. How long, she thinks, was your journey? This baby has overlooked the universe. These rags keeping him warm were the robes of eternity. His golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. And worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. Meanwhile, the city hums. The merchants are unaware that God had visited their planet. The innkeeper would never believe that he had just sent God into the cold. And the people would scoff at anyone who told them that the Messiah lay in the arms of a teenager on the outskirts of their village. They were all too busy to consider the possibility. Those who missed His Majesty's arrival that night missed it not because of evil acts or malice. No, they missed it simply because they weren't looking. Little has changed in the last 2,000 years, has it? Just a moment. It all happened in a moment. A most remarkable moment. As moments go, the one appeared no different than any other. If you could somehow pick it up off the timeline and examine it, It would look exactly like the other moments that had passed while you've listened to these words. It came and it went. It was preceded and succeeded by other moments just like it. It was one of the countless moments that have marked time since eternity became measurable. But in reality, that particular moment was like none other. For though that segment of time For through that segment of time, a spectacular thing occurred. God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent, in one instant, made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word 
chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of His mother. God came near. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception at all. And were it not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with Him. And had the synagogue leader in Nazareth known who was sitting and listening to His sermons? Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on Him or vice versa. It could have been that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure. He was, while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He he grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds, burnt. He had body odor. His feelings got hurt, his feet got tired, and his head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the Incarnation to clean the manure from around the manger, to wipe the sweat out of his eyes, to pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. He's easier to stomach that way. There's something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, packaged, and predictable. But don't do it. For heaven's sake, don't do it. Let Him be as human as He intended to be. Let Him into the mire and muck of our world. For only if we let Him in can He pull us out. Listen to Him. Love your neighbor. Those words were spoken by a man whose neighbors tried to kill him. The challenge... To leave family for the gospel was issued by one who kissed his mother goodbye in the doorway for the sake of his mission. Pray for those who persecute you. Those words came from the lips that would soon be begging God to forgive his murderers. I am with you always are the words of a God who in one instant did the impossible to make it all possible for you and for me. It all happened in a moment. 
in one moment, a most remarkable moment, the Word became flesh. There will be another. This world will see another instantaneous transformation. You see, in becoming man, God made it possible for man to see God. When Jesus went home, He left the back door open. As a result, we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The first moment of transformation went unnoticed by this world, but you can bet your sweet September that the second one won't. The next time you use the phrase, just a moment, remember that's all the time it will take to change this world. Last one. It's good stuff. And Max Licato puts it like nobody else can. Last section will be done today. Gabriel must have scratched his head at this one. He wasn't one to question his God-given missions. Sending fire and dividing seas were all in an eternity's work for this angel. When God sent, Gabriel went. And when word got out that God was to become man, Gabriel was enthused because he could envision the moment. The Messiah in a blazing chariot, the king descending on a fiery cloud, an explosion of light from which Messiah would emerge. That's what he expected. What he never expected, however, was what he got. A slip of paper with a Nazarene address. God will become a baby, it read. Tell the mother to name the child Jesus and tell her not to be afraid. Gabriel was never one to question, but this time he had to wonder. God will become a baby? Gabriel had seen babies before. He had been the platoon leader on that bulrush operation in Egypt so many years ago. He remembered what little Moses looked like. Well, that's okay for humans, he thought to himself. But God? The heavens can't contain him. How could a body? Besides, have you seen what comes out of those babies? Hardly befitting for the creator of the universe. Babies must be carried and fed, bounced and bathed. To imagine some mother burping God on her shoulder... Well, that was beyond what even an angel could imagine. And what of this name? What was it? Jesus? Such a common name. There's a Jesus in every cul-de-sac in Jerusalem. Come on, even Gabriel has more punch to it than Jesus. Call the baby eminence or majesty or heaven sent. Anything but Jesus. So Gabriel scratched his head. What happened to the good old days? The Sodom and Gomorrah stuff, flooding the globe, flaming swords. That's the kind of action he liked. But Gabriel had his orders. Take the message to Mary. She must be a special girl, he assumed as he traveled. But Gabriel was in for yet another shock. One peak told him Mary was no queen. The mother of, to be of God was not regal. She was... Well, she was a Jewish peasant who had barely outgrown acne and had a crush on some guy named Joe. And speaking of Joe, what does this fellow know? Might as well be a weaver in Spain or a cobbler in Greece. He's a carpenter. 
Look at him over there, sawdust in his beard and a nail apron around his waist. You're telling me God is going to have dinner every night with him? You're telling me the source of wisdom is going to call this guy dad? You're telling me a common laborer is going to be charged with giving food to God? What if he gets laid off? What if he gets cranky? What if he decides to run off with the pretty young girl from down the street? Then where will we be? It was all Gabriel could do to keep from turning back. This is a peculiar idea you have, God. He must have muttered to himself. Are God's guardians given to such musings? Are we? Are we still stunned by God's coming? Are we still staggered by the event? Does Christmas still spawn the same speechless wonder it did 2,000 years ago? I've been asking that question lately to myself as I write. Christmas is only days away and something just happened that has me concerned that the pace of the holidays may be overshadowing the purpose of the holidays. I saw a manger in a mall. Correct that. I barely saw a manger in a mall. I almost didn't see it. I was in a hurry. Guests coming, Santa dropping in, sermons to be prepared, services to be planned, presents to be purchased. The crush of things was so great that the crash of Christ was almost ignored. I nearly missed it. And had it not been for the child and his father, I would have. But out of the corner of my eye, I saw them. The little boy, three, maybe four years old, in jeans and high tops, staring at the manger's infant. The father in baseball hat and work clothes, looking over his son's shoulder, gesturing first at Joseph, then Mary, then the baby. He was telling the little fellow the story. And oh, the twinkle in that little boy's eyes. And the wonder on his little face. He didn't speak. He just listened. And I didn't move. I just watched. What questions were filling the little boy's head? Could they have been the same questions as Gabriel's? What sparked the amazement on his face? Was it the magic of the moment? And why is it that out of a hundred or so of God's children, only two pause to consider his son? What is this December demon that steals our eyes and stills our tongues? Isn't this the season to pause and pose Gabriel's questions? The tragedy is not that we can't answer them, but that we are too busy to ask them. Only heaven knows how long Gabriel fluttered unseen above Mary before he took a breath and broke the news, but he did. He told her the name. He told her the plan. He told her not to be afraid. And when he announced, with God, nothing is impossible, he said it as much for himself as he did for her. For even though he couldn't answer the questions, he knew who could, and that was enough. And even though we can't answer them all, taking the time to ask a few would be a good start.
Max Lucado, ladies and gentlemen. Let's pray, and then we'll do whatever we want to do until it's time to leave. Lord, we need Christmas. We need it. We need it to remind us of of so many things, of why You came, and that it was for us You came. We need it to remind us that we can't be perfect anyway. I mean, that's the whole reason why You had to come. Because we can't get it right. We need You. So many different perspectives that we've heard today on Christmas. I pray that there will be something that lodges in our hearts this morning and stays with us for the next couple of weeks. Lord, that we would ask some questions. That the miracle of the moment would be um, real to us again and powerful to us again. Lord, we thank You. Thank You for coming. Thank You for putting Yourself in a human body for us. Thank You for the gift that You have given us in Yourself. We love You. And we just say thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.